Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. Now, not a great result for us yesterday, but I am going to do my best in this episode to keep the positivity that I had in last week's show going throughout this one. So it isn't all doom and gloom around here just yet. Joining me as always, we have Martin Ingram. How are you, Martin? Uh, sorry to say it's not entirely all not to do mean gloom. I'm feeling pretty depressed after yesterday's result, but um, I'll, hopefully hopefully your positivity will buoy me throughout the rest of this. I can see I've got my work cut out with 50% of the team this evening then. Okay, Richard, you're going to be all you're going to be all sunshine and roses and we're going to you know, ready for Wednesday, aren't you? As always, as always. That's what that's what I like to hear. Because as you're going to hear probably about 17 times during the course of this podcast, it is still in our hands. So let's get on to it. So we were we were away. We were at Tynecastle yesterday, Martin. Um, playing hearts, obviously. Now, pre-match, we obviously knew that Shinny and McCrory were going to be missing. Um, there was talk, obviously, of the, the hamstring injury to Duke. And he, and he didn't make it either. So we saw Watkins, Richardson and Barron come in for Duke, Coulson and Duncan. Now, obviously, you know, this, those changes are, some of those changes are forced. What did you expect from the changes? Well, first of all, in terms of the changes which were made, I, I don't think on reflection any of them were hugely surprising. Um, I remember when we saw the game last week and Duke pulling up and he immediately clutched his hamstring and I knew at that point, oh man, that looks pretty serious. There was there was no there was no waiting in, in, on the on the bench to see what was happening. I think Shaden Morris was immediately up and at them. So at that point I knew that actually looks pretty serious and um, if anything, I'm really glad to be hearing that it sounds like he's gonna be back and available for Wednesday because I actually feared it could have been something that might have seen him out for the rest of the season. So um, I don't think anybody was surprised that he wasn't uh, available um, and it made a lot of sense. Marley Watkins has been the next man up during the course of games previously, so it made sense that he was getting the start up front. Um, and I, I noticed Coulson wasn't even on the bench, so I can only assume that there must have been an, an injury issue with regards to him as well. Um, and so again, Richardson, he came off the bench last week, so again, he was the next man up. So I think the most surprising out in the three was the decision to remove Ryan Duncan from the starting lineup and put Connor Barron in instead. Because that's really, if not the first time, it's one of the few times that Barry Robson hasn't just stuck with the same people. Um, you know, he's actually he's a, he actually has made a decision to drop somebody and put someone in his place. And I think really it was probably just a reflection of the way they wanted to try and play it at Tynecastle, probably realizing that they were going to be under a, a, a good bit more pressure from a team that, you know, again, hearts like ourselves, um, far far better home record than an away one, um, were likely going to be coming at us, knowing, of course, as well, that they had to get a win um, or they were effectively out of the race for, well, well, they would have been out of the race for third at that point. Um, so I think partly to do with shoring up to have having a you know essentially a, a, a midfield three slash five um and also i think it was probably a reaction to just how badly we were dominated by hibs in, in, in the previous game so um while i don't think ryan duncan had necessarily done anything wrong to see him get dropped i think there is a question of to what extent he's really 
impacting on games in a way that you'd maybe expect from some of the other senior players. So I do I do understand why he decided he would go for someone like Barron instead, and again, basically just try and uh, solidify the situation in midfield. But um, that was probably the most surprising of the three, but I don't think it was anything out of that, those decision-making or just the decisions that were made that, that, that didn't make sense. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think since the, the first win of the streak that ended... Um, as we hit the split, he has stuck with the same team apart from being forced to change it. So that probably is the first tactical change that he's made. And I think it has to be a reaction. It's also a return, an attempt to return to how that system was originally set up. That uh, 3-5-2 was originally set up with with a more, with Clarkson playing deep, two in front of him, offering more of a shield. Um, so genuinely a three-five-two as opposed to a sort of three-four-one-two. It's been with Ryan Duncan. So I, I I think it was a return to what definitely we can expect on on Wednesday night with Shinny back. That's an absolute certainty. In terms of the other changes, yeah, I think there was whispers obviously on Friday night that Hayden Coulson wouldn't be available and that Richardson would need to start. Um, you know, I, I thought he was pretty anonymous during the uh, 90 minutes. I, to be fair, I thought up against him, Barry Mackay wasn't really a huge influence. So with regards to that, he he did his job fine enough. But I don't think either wing back really supported the midfield well enough. And again, much like the Hibs game the week before, just found themselves forced back and forced back instead of being really actively able to get up and uh, press the opposition's um, wing-backs and full-backs, um, which had been really the key to that second-half performance against the Rangers a few weeks ago, had been that tweak at half-time that got those guys further up the pitch. And then in the last couple of games, we just haven't been able to do that. And it's um, it's shown. Yeah, Richard, I mean, one of the early incidents in the game, um, Johnny Hayes gets booked. Um, you know, um, I'm sure we can, we can mention... During the course of covering this game, we can mention that Kevin Clancy had a pretty poor game, I thought, as referee. Um, I think it was a pretty soft booking. But after that, um, Hayes, Hayes, I mean, not to single him out because there was no, there was a few other performers that maybe weren't at their best. But Hayes really, that game sort of passed him by after that. And he got a, he had a really tough time um, for the for the time he was on the pitch until he got subbed from Oda, didn't he? Look, the, there was a, a few players who inevitably are, are, are being called out, and I see Richardson and Morris as well as another one. But, you know, they have been bit part players, and, it, you know, it's not entirely their fault that they haven't been seen in the past few weeks. That's been Barry Robson's choice, basically, to keep a settled team and make very few substitutions as well. So them coming in from a cold was always going to be a risk. I thought the disappointment on Saturday was the performance of a couple of the senior players. Uh, I thought Hayes was a real, had a real difficult afternoon, obviously hampered by that early yellow card. I don't know if he's been fully fit. I thought, you know, McDonald was the same. Both Hayes and McDonald obviously came off at the end of the game against Hibbs, limping quite heavily, and you did worry if they were going to be able to make Saturday. As it turned out, Angus McDonald and Hayes both made it. McDonald, however, was apparently feeling the ill effects of a bug, and we got like 65 minutes out of him. But I thought Hayes struggled. I thought Ramadani was pretty anonymous in the middle. Um, you know, again, a senior guy in there alongside Barron, first appearance for a good few months, and, and Clarkson playing deeper. 
I, I, he got overwhelmed. He got overwhelmed. You really wanted him to stand up and to... And alongside Chinny, he's, he's done well. He's done well in the middle of that park alongside Chinny. But you wanted a big performance in there from him and it just wasn't happening. And I thought, up front, I thought Marley Watkins completely outshone um, the, his strike partner. Um, Watkins was really quite effective whilst he was on. Not the same replacement for... Uh, Lopez, obviously not the same kind of player at all, but I thought we used him quite effectively in that first half. Again, though, like Hayes, recipient of an, a, a nonsense booking, an absolute nonsense booking. I mean, throughout the game, it was just a referee who was going to give the home side of decisions. Yeah, Martin, there's obviously, like so we talk about the early instance, there's, that couple in, there's a couple involved in Watkins. As Richard mentions, they are really... I really know. I don't really just booking uh, that that affect that can that affects how he can operate for the rest of the game. We also had a, we also had a penalty shout as well, um, where he was fouled in the box um, and nothing nothing was given. Uh, is is this one of these where if that's in the centre circle, he's blown up and given it as a foul? But he's is 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 Clancy just not confident enough to to make a decision there? Well, I think it's one of those where I think there was, we, we, we saw a decision like that made just the previous week. And I think this is the thing that everyone's crying out for, regardless of whether you think a decision should go one way or another. There just seems to be a complete lack of consistency. So I'm thinking specifically of the the late penalty that Hearts got at St Mirren the, the previous week, where Ginelli gets, he basically... You actually see him look behind him beforehand. Um, the St. Mirren, I can't remember who the St. Mirren defender was, but they were a bit daft. They put their arm on him and he's just gone down in the box going completely away from goal and that's given as a penalty. Whereas in this situation, the player actually, it's a late challenge, misses the ball, takes the player down in the box. I don't see how that can't be a penalty. You've, And it's not just one of those things where, as I say, with the, with the decision last week where, you know, there's like, you know, how many times do players put their hands on other players' backs during the course of a game. And um, you could say, has he gone down too easily in relation to that? But if the standard is um, contact in the box, which forces somebody to go down, that's a, that's a foul in my book. You've, I think you've described it perfectly, Martin. If that happens anywhere else on the pitch, I don't think there's any hesitation to give that as a as a foul. But when it's in... I think, I think sometimes referees are a bit reticent to give those because, don't get me wrong, I mean, the play... You know, you've you've got somebody who is going completely away from goal, and if the player hadn't made made that challenge, I don't, I don't think there was any need for that challenge. But if there's no need for that challenge, don't don't try and make the challenge. I mean, the guy's made a completely rash decision to have a swipe after the ball, and the player has passed him, has caught the player, and it's a foul. So how how can that not be a penalty? And again, what's VAR's involvement in relation to that? In that case, is that not? Uh, you know, a clear and obvious error where they should be then directing the referee to go and have a look at it in the monitor. Um, apparently not in this instance, but in other instances it has been. So, yeah, I think, the, I mean, we're looking at it obviously in relation to the situations where we're coming out second best, but I think there is genuinely, there, 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 will, there will need to be a very serious review in relation to, from my perspective, all I'm looking for is a consistent, playing field where everybody knows and you know you're never I, I do appreciate two independent situations will not will never exactly mirror each other but you're getting number number upon number of decisions where if you were to compare one or two and said are either of these a foul 
the ones which are looking clear files aren't being aren't you aren't you aren't getting decisions for, and the ones that you're saying were maybe 50-50 contact are being given. And I just don't see where the consistency is there. Um, before before we move on, in relation to that, just coming back to the Marley Watkins yellow card. That's another situation which is an absolute nonsense. And again, it just it just completely reminded me of Liam Scales being booked at Ibrox for the offence of being shoved forcefully to the ground by Cantwell. I mean, um, where where it's crept into this game that if uh, you know, I think it's probably seen from the referees that oh, you know, they can calm the game down if they just issue a yellow card to each player. But what has Watkins done wrong in that situation? You've basically quite rightly went to confront a player for what was you know. Um, awful challenge and the guys reacted by lashing out absolute yellow card for that person but what has marley watkins done other than quite rightfully taking umbrage at something which he's perfectly entitled to take umbrage at yeah richard so um we take the lead via uh marty pollock um a great ball in from clarkson for the corner now we had been causing him some problems before that on the break um as well as some decent some pretty good last ditch defending but to talk our goal, it's a, like I said, a fantastic ball in from Clarkson yet again. Um, exactly what we should be doing is someone like Xander Clark. Um, you, know, you know, Xander Clark, I suppose you would call him, is you know, an average SPFL level goalkeeper um, who you know is loves to get you know is very easily to get lost in his box. Uh, I suppose only a disappointment is we didn't make him work harder. But like I say, excellent ball in from Clarkson. We're lining up at the players lining up at the back post, and it, you know, Pollock knocks it and gets us ahead. It's all down to Clark. Let's be honest. He gets underneath it, uh, comes out, doesn't deal with it, and uh, Pollock's able just to nod it in uh, with the ease, basically. Now it's a decent delivery into a decent area, but your keeper should be dealing with that uh, every single time. And I think it reinforces the point that um, you know we've been whinging about the fact that we've lost some key players for this game and but Hearts have been without some key players for long long spells this season you know they've been without Gordon, Halkett, Boyce key players through the spine of their team um, for most of the season and management's really about how you marshal your resources and Hearts have um, had to manage that, had to deal with that, had to deal obviously with a managerial change as well. So they've again got a, a caretaker like we had in, in situ right now. And, you know, ultimately, whether it comes down to better squad depth, better players as backup, or the fact that their backup players have seen a bit more action over the course of the season and are more ready to contribute in these games, or you've got a system that actually helps to support them and you're not putting them into a system that you've already got laid out. You know, you've got a system that works and gets the most out of somebody like Josh Ginelli because Ginelli and Morris are probably, probably have quite a similar background, to be honest. I mean, with regards to his equaliser, you could have a million Josh Ginellis and a million different timelines could try that shot a million times and it would sail into the Western approach road more often than not. It's just our luck to live in the one timeline where he finds a top corner for the equaliser. Um, the real frustration as ever though, when you take the lead at a venue like this, is to then just try and sit back, have a bit of stability, frustrate the home team, allow the home crowd to get annoyed, get on top of their own side, and we just didn't do that. Not only could we not make it to halftime because you do have that Ginelli goal, but almost immediately after the goal, we get opened up very easily. 
as a back heel it sets. I think it was Devlin with a clear shot at goal. He miscontrols it, so that allows Roos to make a, a confident, uh, a, a good save and then a follow-up save. But yeah, just take the sting out of the game. I look at the way in which Hearts were able to do that in the last 20-25 minutes after they had the lead. The, we changed shape after, uh, you know, for about the last half hour. But Arts were able to take the sting out of the game and take the sting out of the way we were approaching things. Now, I appreciate Barry Robson wants to play with a high intensity, but sometimes you just got to be a bit smarter. And you've just got to try and calm things down and level things down. And it felt we were still trying to do everything at 100 miles an hour, even after getting that lead. And it's a real frustration. You know, all season long, we've just had this issue. We've not taken any points from losing positions and we've lost an absolute shed load from winning positions and this is just another example of this weak mentality we've had throughout the squad all season and it seems that the transplant of getting guys like Pollock and McDonald in there they've helped as far as the defending goes that culture of really wanting to try not to to lose cheap goals and try and throw yourself at every opportunity but the way it went on Saturday hearts were peppering our goal peppering now admittedly I think part of that was because they were faced with a low block and I suspect tactically they've been told have a go have a shot see if it lands at somebody's feet you might get lucky do that I suspect that had been part of the tactical briefing to do that and hence why they've had a huge number of shots at our goal but yeah just our inability to manage that game very well it's really frustrating because yet again for the third game running it was there for us, especially after we'd taken the lead, because they do have a fragility in a heart of defence. When we were getting it forward and on the break, it was very often 2v2, and I really don't think we, we made the most of a lot of those opportunities, much like the game at Ibrox a few weeks ago. But yeah, having taken the lead to then immediately get the crowd back into it, get them up again, like within 60 seconds, I think it was, of um, our goal. It's just a huge frustration, the way that's... Uh, out. Yeah, Martin, I mean, Richard mentions obviously their, the chances they had there. I mean, in the, f- the first half, they had 18 shots. Um, now, most of them were blocked or went you know, went wide. Uh, of, uh, the, of the goal that comes from them, um, as you know, as he mentions, you know, a, once in a, a once in a career strike from them there. I mean, are we, are we just, are they just guilty of us not closing down because we've done that so well um, for the previous forty-two minutes in that half, where every you no, know, the chances they'd had, we'd know we'd stuck, we'd got stuck a leg out, or we'd know we'd we'd been able to interfere with the play, causing them to send one at the stand. Is it just as simple that you know, we, you know someone switched off and they and he was allowed a shot? Oh, you, you could say that. I am tempted though to think that sometimes, um, I like Richards, um comparison to this multiverse of madness situation of all of all the parallel universes it had to be this one um i think if and especially with you know someone like kelarus and goal who's been in great form and indeed played really well on saturday i think if if see josh janelli shaping up to hit one from 30 35 yards out you'd probably fancy that that isn't going to result in what did happen and Sometimes, sometimes I honestly just think fates are against you. The, the 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 circumstances around the goal had a real feel like the last the last minute winner that Celtic got against us in the Scottish Cup final, where the lightning strike happens just as Tom Rogic is putting it in the back of the net, and it was a real similar feel to that, where 
there's a there's a minute's applause that they're having for one of their supporters who had passed away. Um, fireworks are going off in the background, and then all of a sudden Ginelli's just basically hit a worldie from 35 yards out, and it's nestled into the top corner. I mean, you know, you can you can apportion blame. I was having a look after. I was thinking, could could Pollock have been further out to block that? I noticed Connor Barron was just trailing behind. Maybe he could have been working harder to get back into position. I think sometimes you just have to say, you know, he's he's just he's just hit an exceptionally good shot and it's gone in the back of the net. But yeah, I share the frustration is that what what's been really annoying in relation to this game. If you look at the match over at its piece and um with the amount of possession they've had, the number of attempts they've had in goal, I don't think anybody could really argue with the fact that they probably deserve to win the game over over, over the piece. But again, it's the it's the missed opportunity, and especially when you've got yourself one nil up. I, I I did actually get a sense that if we could have seen that out till half time, you've suddenly got you know the heart support are probably going to start getting on the back of their team. We know they've got a bit of a fragility about them at, at, at the moment, certainly in the re, in, in the recent kind of run of 10, 11 games. Um, and we really could have started, you know, being a bit more professional about it, trying to kind of grind out the game and get a result. Because again, remembering that, you know, you're, you're winning at that point, so Hearts need to score twice to get back and win that. And even a draw would have been good for us. But they get the goal back in. And, 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 and honestly, after that point, I, I, I don't really think Hearts lost their... The, the control of the game from that point onward. They they looked threatening even before half time. Looked like they were possibly going to get a second goal then. We we survived that. They then come out and really dominate the second half until they get the goal. And then after that, the, the other frustrating thing I found, and I, and I understand the thinking behind that, but Richard was talking about the fact that really they just kind of had to manage out the last 30 minutes. But really, we didn't really put up a huge amount of a fight to contest that at that point afterwards. And it, and it was telling that um barry robson was taking out players like johnny hayes and angus mcdonald anyone where there was a bit of a doubt around about their fitness and, and i think there, re- there was a definitive decision at that point and i don't mean that they just gave up on the game at that point because that's, that's that's not what i mean at all but he definitely at that point thought right i'm pulling out pulling out players who i want 100 percent fit for the game on wednesday against st mirren and i want to give that my 100 percent effort um and you know He'll, he'll live and die by that decision, depending on what the result is on Wednesday. Um, but the other aspect I wanted to pick up from what Richard was saying beforehand, where I I, I agree partially with what, what, what he was saying in relation to, you know, it's all fine and well, us, you know, complaining about the, the, the number of players that we didn't have available. He's absolutely right to say that Hearts have had a number of players, key players that have not been available. But I do think there is some truth to the fact that it's one thing when you've lost a number of those players earlier in the season and you've now been able to play with the resources that you have now, you're now playing a group of players over a consistent period of time and at least then they're playing within a system or starting to play in a system in a style that they're all comfortable in and comfortable in playing together. Um, whereas a lot, a lot of this, a lot of the players that we've been losing, you know, they've been they've been recent, um, and certainly over the last few games, I think it has been a case of Robson's just had to try and chop and change with the players he's had available. And and the no, notable thing I was thinking about was with the captaincy. So you've lost Graham Shinney, the captain isn't available because he's still suspended. McCrory is injured and is not available. So Johnny Hayes got the captaincy. He got the armband. He went off after sixty minutes. Ramadani takes the the, the, the 
the the armband after that and then with a few minutes to go by the time he's then got hooked off by uh for alfie babbage i don't even know if if that went to anybody else and i'm just thinking once you've got to your number five choice leader on the park and i think it is noticeable that the two players that got the the armband hayes and ramadani had pretty poor games i think it does speak to how much of a knockdown it has. Ramadani, I think, is a good example. I think he looks fantastic in a team where it's kind of like what Liam Scales has looked like with Pollock and, and, and McDonald about them. I think they look much better players with leaders and commanding players around about them. Maybe, maybe you know, once you lose those kind of senior players around you and you're then asking other players to be more than what they've, met, they're, they're, they've maybe been able to be beforehand, you just have that knock-on effect right the way through the squad. So um, I think it probably has impacted on us more just because a lot of those changes have been forced on us recently. Do you want to take a guess who got the armband? I honestly don't know. I would I would I wouldn't even want to guess. It'll surprise you. Liam Scales got the armband. Wow, there you go. Uh yeah, as as I think Martin uh, delicately put it on Twitter on Saturday night, uh, the armband was being passed around like a needle in an Edinburgh drug den. Nice nineteen eighties reference uh, from you there, Martin. Uh but definitely not stuck in the eighties on this podcast. Well, I appreciate I appreciate you giving me a bit of props for that. I, I I'll be honest, I was disappointed it didn't get more likes on Twitter. I'll be honest, I thought it was quite good, but it shows what I think's funny it doesn't always translate very well on social media or on this podcast even. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, um, second half as you, as Martin says there, Richard, uh, really basically we we'll have to start again, um, but we found ourselves being overrun really, um, and within ten eleven minutes of the of the restart we find ourselves 2-1 down is there a hint of offside there I mean I've, I'll be honest I didn't watch sports scene last night um, I'd like to see the lines um, just to see um, he's definitely onside is he definitely onside Matty Pollock is probably slightly too far back he's probably out of sequence with the rest of defensive line and um, I'd, I'd say it's I'd close it certainly looked it, in, real, it, it looked, in, it looked in real time as if there were definitely a question mark there but what I will say again around VAR is that because we obviously haven't invested in the proper Hawkeye system here that I think what seems to be happening with VAR for offsides is that they are doing everything they can to back up the referee's original call you know we had the, the one in the reverse game against Hearts with Matty Pollock uh, the third goal there it did look offside because it'd been given onside on the park. Um, but that was backed up by what VAR saw. Equally, the uh, the one at Ross County that we had, um, which uh, Miofsky put in, but that got ruled out. That looked very much onside from the ridiculous camera angle that they were using to, to judge that um, about 40 yards away from play. But again, VAR backs up what the on-field decision was. So, of course, that's not how that's meant to work, but it does feel that that's what's happening with the offsides since they haven't got really reliable pictures. Um, no doubt they'll say that, no, no, that's not happening. But, again, the evidence seems to be stacking up with regards to these offsides. It, it, it was close, but it's a really good finish. It's a good first time. Again, the second half should have been, absolutely, it should have been a clean slate, Martin. It should have been about coming out... Putting the first half behind us, 1-1, not in a bad position, got to the halfway mark, level, okay, we've lost the goal, bit of a bit of a worldly, bit of a hit from nothing, tactically we are causing them problems, we are getting forward, unfortunately how that second half started was just like the last 15 minutes of that first half with us totally on the back foot, not able to get out, not able to cause any problems to the opposition goal whatsoever. Yeah, and I mean, following that, as, as, we've, as we've mentioned, Martin, you know, the 
you made some made some changes. Um, really, you know, as as Richard says early on as well. No, there's no point in digging out somebody like Morris or Mark and Day because we know they've not had any minutes. Um, but after that, Hearts really did have, you know, a few more chances to make it more comfortable. And in the end, they just they just ran the game down. Um, a lot of pretty much game management from them. Um, I suppose that the, the more disappointing thing is that we didn't do. We didn't seem to do anything to try. There was no spark to try and get back into it. Yeah, I think the disappointing thing about that is that is at that point you're you're two one down with about half an hour to go, um, and it's something I'd be. This isn't just about Aberdeen. I think there's a, a reticence amongst football people to really just take a risk and have a go, throw players up, do something unusual. Um, the 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 Jimmy Calderwood bugles effect, and and I think there's a reluctance to try things like that just because. I say with Calderwood, so it's like that situation, the, the, the classic game where, where he's 2-0 down at Ibrox and he tries to play with four up and we end up losing 5-0. It has, you have to look at it in situational terms. We are losing a game. It's almost inconceivable to think of a situation where, in the situation we are now, our goal difference is so bad that a, a situation in which we end up level on goal difference with either Hearts or Hibs almost definitely indicates that they're going to have a better goal difference than us by dint of the fact that they obviously have to get more points than us to catch us and our goal difference is already so terrible so it was interesting when Barry Robson mentioned in the post-match um, conference uh, the, the press conference he was talking about the, he referenced the 5-0 defeat the last time we came to Tynecastle, and he mentioned yeah that's not the kind of result you're going to see from this Aberdeen team anymore and I, I just have a sneaking suspicion that he wasn't overly disappointed. I mean, obviously not. You don't you don't go in there looking to lose. But I don't think he was that gutted to come away with a two-one defeat and then get some of his key players off of the pitch. And I think he was already then thinking, well, if we get something out of this game, great. But my key priority now is to save my players and and, and get ready for Wednesday. And then, as I say, well, that now becomes a much much more massive game because really he's throwing if not all of the eggs in, in, in that basket, quite a substantial number of them. Um, but I just, I just, you know, this is, this has probably been the one outstanding thing with the Robson tenure that he has a very, he has a tried and trusted set of players. As we said beforehand, if certain players aren't available, you can pretty much tell by rote who the next player up is in relation to that. I agree with you, Martin. I cast no blame on players like Shaden Morris or, or Mercandi. You I mean, you, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing people on that have barely played all season and they're expecting them to come in and make, a, make make an impact. But have we really seen yet a situation where Barry Robson in that scenario has done something to completely shake up the system, do something completely out of left field, just to, even just to try and throw your opponent off their off, off balance? And, because, you know, it's it's it, I, I, I think back to, like, for example, the, that, the English... Uh, Championship League One playoff game where Sheffield Wednesday are four nil down and you're getting to situations at the end of full time or you know where you're throwing. D- dare I say the things like when back in the old days you'd be sending Ash Taylor up to play up front. Why aren't we putting Matty Pollock up in those situations and doing something like that and just direct balls into the box or or, or anything like that? I just I just thought there was a, a a lack of a willingness to really really risk it um, because for me. It it would it might have been embarrassing to some if we ended up losing three four five one, but it 
the goal difference is almost immaterial at this point. And if there'd been even a small chance that a, a risky strategy or doing something different might have snuck us, I think everyone was thinking back and thinking, where is where's our Barry Nicholson? Who's the guy who's going to crop up in injury time and snatch a, a last-minute equaliser and... and get a completely undeserved point out of nowhere and I just never I just it never really seemed likely to happen but it was Hearts were still getting those opportunities those huge opportunities on the break without us really piling forward and really throwing bodies in the box I mean by the end obviously you've got Bavage on as well for Ramadani you are playing with more strikers on the pitch but never ever looked close to causing Hearts any substantial problems uh, which is a Real disappointment, uh, the way the afternoon panned out, to have so much hope and buoyancy at going 1-0 up. And as I say, to surrender that. And I think there was a meekness about the team, um, certainly about certain individuals. You had players who had started maybe quite aggressively and were then stymied by very cheap yellow cards, such as Hayes and Watkins in particular, who I thought was really impressive in that first half and then just disappeared in the second, just, yeah, it just felt quite meek, and it was really disappointing, I, I completely, un- I get what you're saying about he's maybe saving his powder for Wednesday, but that's a very high-risk strategy, you know, it, there are scenarios where we can still finish third without taking another point this season, but uh, that's three opportunities to not quite completely seal the deal, but pretty much gets over the line, and um, three of them thus far have um, fallen out of our grasp so it really really does heap the pressure onto Wednesday. Martin do you think that like you mentioned there that you obviously you know in terms of you've not seen him making any sort of changes that are you know could potentially change a game is it maybe that Robson he doesn't have that belief in the wider squad because obviously you saw in the the January window the, the focus was on bringing in the two the two centre halves where normally you would normally in a January transfer window, you would never, and I know he was obviously only caretaker then. You would never, you wouldn't make that sort of massive changes where you're replacing your two centre backs in a January transfer window. So is it maybe that you know January windows sometimes used to kind of bolster a squad, but other than like sort of marking day, you know, we've not really had that had that option to bring in guys who perhaps could give you something for the last six months. Yeah, I think it's absolutely that he has no trust in the rest of the team, the players in the squad, and um, he's just basically going with the system, his preferred system, with the players who he trusts, and I think he's just effectively, I mean, you know, in fairness, it's been very rare so far in his tenure that we've found ourselves in a situation where we would have to radically change it, such, such as the nature of the results been in the, the past few months. But I think it's absolutely, I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't want that to appear too critical um, because he is at the end of the day working with a set of players that he is in, in inheriting and I'll go right the way back to a point that the two of you made months and months ago back back last year is um, we've we went through a recruitment period last year where we are taking in players and the way that even Goodwin ended up playing his team, there was nowhere for those guys to play. And I'm talking specifically about the raft of wingers that we have in the squad. I think Marcandi, okay, we, we, we saw him playing a bit more as a kind of a, almost attacking midfield, but I think he's technically a winger. Shaden Morris came in nominally as a winger. Callum Roberts, although again, he hasn't really been available through fitness more than anything else. Wide player, 
Matty Kennedy, winger. You have all these players that just do not fit into if you if your preferred system is to play a three five two, there's absolutely nowhere to play those guys. So you either completely rip up the system and style of play in order to accommodate players that you probably don't really have any faith in anyway, and you probably don't have any intention of keeping thereafter. Um, or you basically just, you know, plan B is try and do plan A better. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily completely knock that. I just thought that in that particular scenario, if you've, the, the particular circumstances we found ourselves in yesterday, um, I thought that they may have actually had some thinking of, do we have a wild, call it a plan Z or a plan X, where if we're, if we're losing 2-1 and we're having to pull our, all of our best players anyway, I thought is was there was there some kind of you know um strategy that he might have had up his sleeves just to try and you know get a result out of nothing and there didn't appear to be anything but yeah i don't want to be too critical in relation to that because i think a number of the players that we're talking about um um and again i don't want to blame them either because it goes to how, how how limited amount of game time they've had but you are working with the squad you have he's done very well with those players that he's been playing on a regular basis um but uh you, you know who the, the the rest of the players are there they're not getting game time for a reason and, and i will i will quickly shout out um uh, a friend of mine um nary's toe poker does a scottish football blog every year does a worst signings of the scottish premiership season he's been doing it for about 10 years and it's been telling that as the years have gone on from a point where aberdeen very rarely had any players in that list at all we've gradually had more and more and i think in in the 25 that which we actually end up being 26 um i think something i don't want to quote myself in here but i think seven of them were aberdeen players this season um and they included a number of the players that we're talking about right now markandi mislevich who was on the bench um uh shaden morris callum roberts and then of course you know number one on that list with anthony stewart who started out as the club captain and who's away off on loan now so um yeah i don't think we should play down and again you know even depending and again I'll, by all means come back and uh, throw these words in my face if you find me moaning and grumbling about how we didn't manage to secure third place from a five-point advantage but if you were to look back in february and think where realistically do you, th do you think barry robinson could take this aberdeen squad i think if 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 you offered most supporters fourth place at that time they'd have bitten your hand off it would obviously be incredibly disappointing from you where know that's we are not now. how it works though Oh, absolutely not. But that's why I'm saying that now. I, I don't even think that'll work with me next Sunday. I think I will be, if we haven't secured third place by next Sunday, I will be probably the most vehement. Um, Listen, uh, if, we finish, if we finish third, it, it's a big achievement because we are in recovery mode right now. And if we're able to do that, we will achieve essentially what was the main objective at the start of the season in a season that's had the trauma that we've had. And we've obviously had a, an un expected managerial change so unexpected that the caretakers ended up getting the gig and Barry Robson has done a tremendous job and until now it's been relatively plain sailing and it's been he's been able to pick a, a really consistent 11 and he's been able to just rely on those players to get him through games and confidence has built as things have gone on as players have understood his system more but 
Again, I come back to the point I made earlier that part of management, again, this is not Jim McLean in 1982-1983. You can't get through a season using just 12, 13 players. You have to be able to marshal your squad. And that means giving the guys you might need to rely on, who are your third, fourth choice, giving them some decent game time when the opportunity arises. And just that reliance on that core it kind of stored up problems for when we have had a rash of key players out. Obviously, your captain and your vice-captain going out. And we still, I think, have unanswered questions about the Ross McCrory situation, which, from a distance, stinks to high heaven. But, it's again, if you haven't to bring guys in who haven't seen a lick of first-team football in four months, and basically your entire tenure, that's not a good look, is it? Going into what is a key game. Yeah, so, isn't there a, yeah, but Richard, isn't there a case of trying to have your cake and eat it in that regard? Like, I, I would compare it to last season where Jim Goodwin came in with a group of players and took over, I think, at ninth place in the league table and then ended up 10th and got nothing out of anybody within the squad. At the very least, Barry, we're, we're now talking from a situation where Barry Robinson has managed to get something out of the core group of those players within the squad, I think it then becomes hyper, hyper critical to say, okay, you've managed to get the best out of 12 of the players in this squad, but once you run out of your captain, vice-captain, third captain and fourth captain, you're really struggling. But he, any, he is, he is no longer the caretaker that. now. He's been given this job because he's been considered better than any other potential candidate out there. So, you know, whilst this is his first senior management gig and there are going to be mistakes made there has to be there's going to have to be some learning and this felt on saturday like a just a repeat of what had gone before the the saturday before and if we do not finish third after the advantage we had you know how football works martin yes ask any aberdeen fan back in february their main concern would have been avoiding relegation because that looked very realistic that we would be in a, a relegation dogfight ahead of a game against Motherwell at home. However, that's not how it works. We worked ourselves into a tremendous position and that's three good opportunities to really all but seal it, which we've let slip over the past three games. It's been a challenge and when this is really the first time I think in this run that Robson's had those concerns, those worries, those challenges. It's been relatively smooth sailing. And all I'm saying is, all I'm suggesting is that in management, you're going to be challenged. You're not going to have that period when we won seven straight. That doesn't happen very often. A credit to him, absolute credit to him for turning the form around to the the position where we were able to do that, which suggests that the squad as a whole perhaps wasn't as bad as you were suggesting if we were able to get that level of performance out of them. And there has, after all, been a good deal of money spent in this squad. Just how is he going to react to this challenge is my question. Is he going to face up to it? Are we going to get over the line? I sincerely hope we do. But yeah, there's the, there is the issue about we've appointed him full-time manager a few games ago at a point where maybe we didn't need to make a change. Maybe we could have waited and seen because I, I, there is that danger. If he starts off his tenure by letting this go, I think that's going to be really hard to shake off. Well, we just we, we spoke a little bit about the, the wider squad there. So um, we'll have to mention that um, I think Thursday or Friday it was before the game, uh, there was a report that Darren Mowbray are head of recruitment. Uh, Richard will be joining Southampton now. Um, 
you would like to think that a lot of the summer targets will already have been identified. Um, you know, where, where, you know, where maybe some players will be getting shipped out. It's probably been noted already. Obviously, some loan players, will, I imagine, would be going back to their clubs. Um, but this is going to be Barry Robson's first full window. Um, losing your head of recruitment is, pro- is, is, a, is still a bit of a blow. Yeah, I would say it's suboptimal. Um, obviously, that should just be one cog in the machine, your head of recruitment. And, um, you know, when we talk about Barry Robson being able to build his squad, build, bring his players in, there'll be, as there was with Jim Goodwin, an element where if there are players that he or Steve Agnew have identified and, and uh, think are going to make a big difference, then they will be able to, to make that case and potentially go out and get them. But I think most of the signings are going to be as a result of Robson detailing how he wants to play, hopefully not changing uh, mid-season how he wants to play as well and the recruitment team going out and identifying players within our budget who we can secure now this will be a test of how properly run we are I suppose and how how well the other cogs in the machine are doing their job as to whether the departure of Darren Mowbray at the end of the season is going to make a huge difference to the way in which we work this summer Undeniably, there's going to need to be a lot of work done this summer. And I think it, right now we don't know which of two bins we might be shopping in. I think whether we are able to secure third place and with that, um, hopefully, guaranteed group stage football as a result of Celtic winning the Cup, then we could be looking at a different set of players, a different price range than we might be looking at otherwise without that advantage. However, we're also going to need, if that is the case, we are probably also going to need to bolster the squad slightly. We don't yet know how Robson would want to run. Is he going to want to run with a tight squad and bring in youth? That appears to be what he wants to do. He's been given opportunities to Ryan Duncan. He's been given opportunities to Alfie Babbage. Or is he going to want to get more squad players with a bigger squad comes need to keep a lot of them happy, a lot of them involved. And that's not something that Robson seems to have done. So certainly if Robson wants to mirror what he's done this season, next season with European, if it is European group stage football on top, that's going to be really challenging to go Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday with the same core group of players. I think that'd be asking a lot. Anyway, to get back to the central point of... Um, Losing your head of recruitment. Uh, no, it's not ideal. Um, however, it should it should just be an ongoing process. The players we've been looking at, you know, identifying players in our price range, players for the positions that we f- feel need filled, and it's pretty obvious looking uh, looking at that squad. What kind of areas you you are looking at? Um, you know, we've got more depth in some areas than others right now, and again, that can evolve and that can change over the course of the summer. You know, say we lose a Lopez or a Miofsky, then Hopefully, they've got a list of strikers, maybe one with pace and power, maybe one with uh, more with better movement, again, to, to match up to the sort of players that Barry Robson is looking for to fill those gaps in the squad. And it should be, as I say, a fairly automatic process that with someone leaving, it should be able to continue. You know, liken it to an office scenario if like, the head of accounts leaves. The work still gets done. The people underneath them know what they're doing, know what they have to do to achieve the goals. They get it done. The work still gets done and on they go. Ideally, that's the same scenario at Pataudra with the transfers. Um, 
equally in terms of us losing somebody, hopefully we've got our eye and so on to, to replace that. So as with most recruitment processes, that can maybe take a couple of months to get that sorted. So there could be a, a window or period over summer, which will be an important period when we are without. So as I say, it shouldn't have that much of an impact, but that's really going to depend on how well things are working behind the scenes at Pataudry. Martin, there was some good news though. Um, Alfie Bavage, who we saw at the end of the game, on Saturday, um, he's extended his contract to 2026. Um, nice, nice long contract for what what you know, appears to be a well, not does appear to be. He is a clearly a very talented young player. Um, it's hopefully just now it's a case of us being able to get him making that next step up to you know regular first team football. Yeah, we've we've spoken about this before. This is the uh, the, the 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 interesting dilemma that you now have with someone like. Uh, Babbage still still incredibly young, but already he's proven himself to be, um, you know, a, a level beyond the kind of uh, the elite youth uh, level that he's competing or had been competing in this season. Thirty um, odd goals this season. I think it was four hat tricks he'd scored this season at, at youth level. So. Um, I don't think there's any value in him continuing to play at that level next season. But by the same token, I'm not sure how much value it would be if the plan was simply that it was going to be a situation like we found at Hearts when he comes on with three minutes to go and gets, you know, a 10-minute run out, which doesn't give him nearly enough time to do anything. Um, interestingly, um, I was looking at the, the, the player on the other side of the field on Saturday, uh, Hearts captain Lawrence Shankland. Um, and I think it was kind of commented, you know, Shankland, a player who's gone and scored goals absolutely everywhere he's gone, other than the, the you know, ourselves at Aberdeen. And it was that kind of situation where you knew you had a, a, ta- a player, a really talented player on your hands was scoring goals for fun um, at development league level. Um, but, at Aberdeen, we've had a number of those players where we've just really struggled to find, and and maybe because again, it's it's it, we're maybe victims of our own success in those situations where I do get that you know if you have a Duke and a Bayovsky in your team, it's incredibly hard to find space within the team for 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 players like that to get long runouts. So um, I think that'll be the big question. You know, we've got a, a, a nice long contract for for Alfie. He'll be with us for a few seasons to go, so it's not anything that's an immediate headache. But it will be interesting to see whether the decision next season is to uh, potentially lo- loan him out somewhere else where he can get a little bit more first team football, kind of like what we did with Shankland at, at Air and, and and with other similar players. Um, or if he or if the plan is that he's going to get uh, perhaps extended periods of time off the bench next season with the Aberdeen team, but um, Either way, absolutely what you want to see when you're bringing through exceptional young talent like that, you want to sign them up on long-term contracts as quickly as possible. And and we've 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 done very good business there in, in making sure that he's signed up and with us for the foreseeable future. So all po- everything points towards Wednesday now. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and the guys have very pointedly really not mentioned is it, it is still all in our hands. Uh, Richard, post-match, Barry Robson was interviewed and he told us that Shinny, McCrory and Duke will all be back. Um, so that's that's going to be a, obviously going to be a massive positive for us, coupled with the fact that Hibs lost today, so pretty much all but Seals at the very least fourth for us. Um, uh, I'm not 
certain it should do. I mean, they're unlikely to they're unlikely to beat Celtic at home, Hibs. So it should do. Um, however, um, you know, I've been running through all sorts of nightmare scenarios in my head about uh, <laughs> about what might happen. Um, it you know we should have Euro- European football secured. We should be avoid. We should now have at least avoided the League Cup group stages. So there is some minor celebration, even though we can't mathematically uh, arithmetically guarantee that. However, the real goal is clearly third, and I, I do really feel that a win on Wednesday would secure it. Um, you can talk all you like about conspiracies, but it's a very, very tough ask for Hearts to go to Ibrox and win. I'm not sure that uh, that Rangers side have lost to a to a non-Celtic t- domestic team since before the um, before lockdown. Someone can I think correct. I think a certain other team might have beaten them in the meantime, but not at Ibrox. Yeah, I, I, well, the only games they've lost this season have been Celtic games and to us, I think. Um, oh, did, no, they lost at St Johnston under under um, Van Bronckhorst, didn't they? But at home, they, they've been pretty much untouchable. So Hearts may get a point with the mathematics of the situation. That would take them to within one point. But if we get a win, that would do it. So I, I really do believe that a win on Wednesday does it. It is, as you quite correctly point out Martin even if they do go there and win it's still in our own hands to to manage this there are scenarios where we could finish third without picking up another point I would rather that not the case I'd rather we just go out and we do the business with or without those individuals back because frankly you talk about the guys in the squad who aren't trusted who aren't being given an opportunity but a fair bit of money has been spent on some of some of these players to have contributed so little and to be trusted so little. And that's really disappointing. We talk about um, the loss of the head of recruitment. Sure, he's going to get uh, kudos for picking up Miofsky and picking up Lopez, but a lot of the work down south has been pretty disastrous, quite frankly. Uh, the project players, the younger players that here on very, very long-term deals... They may yet resurrect their careers, but I think it's a very long road for them to be able to do so. So if those key individuals who've made a big contribution over the past couple of months are back and fit, all the better. I I didn't know this afternoon whether a Hibs win might have been a a better result for us because that would have meant that St Mirren probably had a very remote chance of catching Hibs in fifth, neither within striking distance, so... They've still got a lot to play for, St Mirren. It's certainly not going to be easy. I don't expect it to be easy. That said, the first time that they were up here this season, it was quite straightforward and it was easy. Um, 4-1, I seem to remember. 3-0 up at half-time. Leighton Clarkson um, marking his debut with a brilliant strike into a top corner. So, I just don't know right now. A couple of weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, I totally believe in this team. We're going to win. Um, and that was my utter belief before the Hibs game. But the last two games have really shaken what I think about the squad, this team, and I suppose Barry Robson as well, because it's it, it, they have been games where we have been totally dominated. St Mirren, of course, won up here in Robson's uh, first game in charge of the spell. Game coloured by Ross McCurry's red card very early on, six, seven minutes in. Now, um, even then... 
that night we got it back to 1-1 with 10 men and then almost immediately surrendered the lead again just that the story of the season the mentality just hasn't been hasn't been there getting a bit too frantic at times and not being able to to control things as you might want especially at home so I think we have to just try and come out fast just do the things that we were doing well in that spell up to the split you know we had the game against Hearts we were 3-0 up after 27 minutes we came out against Kilmarnock and scored after 17 seconds let's just try and get on the front foot let's try and overcome what will no doubt be a very nervous evening in the stadium I, I think the game against Hibs was was the same it was a nervous atmosphere inside the ground after the after the really good atmosphere before kickoff it was a real there was a real nervousness around the place I expect that to be present again on Wednesday night and only the players are going to be able to change that. And uh, they, they have to relish this situation. They have to relish the, the opportunity to go out and grasp this prize. And it's a really big prize for the club. And a really big prize for a lot of these players, hopefully. That they would get the opportunity to play in a really good stage next season. Those of us that will still be with us. So, I'm a, just a mixture right now. There is a nervousness already. But I am excited because there is... There is so much there to play for and so much that's there for us just to reach out and grab. So come on, Aberdeen, let's do that. Yeah, Martin, um, St Mirren are coming, coming up here now, like say, Richard, they'll be, Richard said there, they'll have their, they'll have their tails up. Um, they're coming on the back of a decent result at Celtic Park, albeit, you know, I don't know how much Celtic are sort of motivated to keep the, you know, they're, they're obviously the, the, the league's one, um, they're pro, they're coasting at the moment, but um, it's still a decent result for them to go there and get a point. Um, do we do we just get Angus McDonald to lay one on Curtis Main in the first minute? Um, we 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 do not because that's the one <laughs> that's the one scenario that I am probably nervous about. I I. I, I get where Richard's going about with you know the possible sense of nervousness, but that really is incumbent on the players. This is exactly the situation that we would have all been um, okay. I, I accept we might not be very chuffed if we ended up finishing fourth after ever we've been, but this is definitely the situation we'd have all taken. Where, as you said, Martin, we get to two games to go and third place is in our hands, and we've got a home game against St Mirren. We should be absolutely looking at that as nothing but positive. And and in terms of the nervousness in the ground, there was a fantastic atmosphere around the ground before kickoff. The nervousness set in once we had an absolutely horrific start to the game and Hibs were all over us from minute one. That's on the players. I really believe that, and so coming back to what Richard was saying, that's where I think it's so important that we, we are positive from the outset and look to impose our game on St Mirren. I actually think it was a it was a, it was a good result in the end, albeit a frustrating one that St Mirren got. But I think I think they'll be looking at their post-split games as we've let an awful lot of good opportunities slip. And I think I think there might be a real depression amongst that group. We were thinking we're two 0 up against Hearts and had a real opportunity, and we've thrown it away. We follow up with a brilliant performance at Celtic Park, and we're two one up. And okay, not throw it away, but we but 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 we lose that result at the end. So I think we might you might encounter a team that's been kicked sharply in the teeth a couple of times in our last two games, and we, they then have to come 
they have to travel up the road, play us, and if we are on top of them from the very beginning, and especially if we manage to get a goal early, I think there's a real opportunity for us there just to really kick them while they're down. Um, frankly, I'm again, any any Aberdeen team worth their salt shouldn't be worrying about the state of mind St Mirren's in. We should be worrying about our own state of mind. And I think if we if we assert ourselves and if we are playing positively, you eliminate the nervousness from the fans. Um, if they are if they are playing on 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 top. I think the support will go with them. But coming back to your point about, uh, I know you're, I know you see jokingly, but Angus McDonald laying one on Curtis Main. That's the only situation is that I think the difficulty with um, maybe keeping your powder dry and hoping you can secure that match with your game in hand is suddenly something completely out of the blue happens with that with that game in hand, um, and you only have to go back to the last time St Mirren came to Pitodri. Um Ross McCrory is judged by the referee to have um, put an elbow in someone's face and he's being sent off after, you know, less than 10 minutes. And you know fine well the run we've had with referees so far in the last few games. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be hard to envisage a situation like that where all of a sudden we've shot ourselves in the foot before we even get started. That's, that's the scenario I'm, I'm more worried about is we almost come out too pumped up and then do something stupid. So... Um, Go out, go out fast, go out positive, but do it in a controlled way. And I honestly think that if we do that, we will, we will get three points. Yeah, Curtis Mayne. He should have had, he should have had four or five on Saturday. I would say that much like when we faced Ross County away a few weeks ago, and someone made a point to me that we were much better equipped to deal with how they are likely to play now than we were previously under Goodwin. I think the same broadly applies with Curtis Main, acknowledging that he did score twice against the Barry Robson side back in February. Did manage to miss practically an open goal that night as well, right enough, but he did score twice. So, I I, I don't know. I think Simone have got a, a kind of free hit at this. I completely agree with you, Martin, that it's up to us to make the running and up to us not to be concerned about the opposition. But we shouldn't have been concerned about the opposition against Hibs, and we seemed just overawed by the occasion, overawed by everything that had happened beforehand, before the game, and the prize that was on offer as well. It's... The narrative has certainly been swinging against us these last few weeks, and it is up, and the only set of people that can actually change that narrative and take control of that narrative back for the club are the players. And if those three individuals are fit again, then we can probably sit here and name the starting 11 right now and um, hopefully they do the business on Wednesday but for the benefit of my heart rate I would like it to be um, done quickly and done early and have us uh, a couple of goals to the good early doors and then we can just sit and watch as uh, the home team's goals go in at Ibrox. Yeah well it's as simple as that no basically all we have to do is win no, and we would. No, if you'd offered us on the first day of the season, um, that all we have to do is win one game with two games left to, left to finish third and secure group stage in European football. I think we would have all taken that. Uh, so that brings the podcast to an end for this week. Um, what thank as always, Martin Ingram. Thank you, Martin. Thank you once again. And thanks, Richard. Cheers, Gav. Cheers. We'll be back with you next time. Um, hopefully getting ready to put on the sombreros and the comedy sunglasses. But until then, Aberdeen, please just win and come on you Reds. <laughs>